Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to call you Father. Thank you for your infinite love. Thank you that we can find a rock-solid endurance in you. Lord, I pray that you would guide us through the power of your word. We need encouragement this morning. We need to hear your voice. We need to be led closer to you. And we ask that you would work in us through the power of your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Question for you. What do you think of when you think of endurance? The word endurance. What comes to mind? What, what feelings, what experiences that you've had in your life? When I use the word endurance. Do you feel like you have endurance? Like you have what it takes? Maybe like a, a marathon runner who's able to, to run. Maybe an ultra-marathon ultra runner. Maybe you feel like there's pain, there's agony, there's, there's a miserable aspect to this word endurance. Endurance involves it, it bearing something that, that isn't necessarily pleasant. Endurance. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that actually each and every one of you are incredible endurance. Can I use that word? Uh, some of you have actually done some incredible things just over the past seven days. And, and I'm not going to go into detail yet, but, but how many of you are feeling really exhausted this morning? You, you know, there's more reason than you have an idea of yet, I believe, to feel as exhausted as you do this morning. Because over the past seven days, an incredible thing has happened that you have done that, that blows out of the water every endurance event that you have ever heard of in your entire life. But we'll get to that in a moment. Because what we need to do is get back to the third angel's message. So go with me to Revelation chapter 14. And we've been going through Revelation chapter 14, and we've been focusing especially in on Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10. Actually, we've been in verse 11, sorry. So Revelation 14 and verse 11 says, and they have no rest day or night. This is what we've talked about for a couple of weeks. Who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And, and we've been focusing on the flip side of this because if there's a group of people who have no rest... Then there's a group of people who have what? Rest. And the invitation of Jesus is, come unto me, all of you, when you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. Hey, hang on. Did you just say being a Christian is easy? Or did Jesus say that? My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What an incredible reality that is. And, and, and here we've been looking at how there are those who refuse to enter into rest, like Moses ended up doing at the end of his life, though often he experienced the meekness and lowliness of Jesus. And there are those who choose to rest in Jesus. So here you have a group who's not receiving rest day or night because they receive the mark of the beast. And at the end of this horrific warning, we get to verse 12. Notice how John arrests our attention, the Holy Spirit arrests our attention, saying, here. All right, so we've been looking at this, this tragedy of this group of people who chooses to follow the beast, to receive his image, to, to be molded into his character. And, and John says, here, here, look at this. 
in contrast to what's going on here. Here, look at this. And what does he say is there? Here is the what? The patience of the saints. That word, hupameno, is endurance or patience. Those two words go together, and some of your versions may translate that as endurance. Here is the patience. Here is the endurance. Here here are those who are able to go through this time of coercion, this time of forced worship, and they're able to go through it without yielding to the beast's power. So what exactly does this look like? How can you and I have the patience, the endurance of the saints? And and what does it take to, to have this endurance that's essential for the Christian walk? Didn't we just read that there's a group who have no rest day and night? And then there's a group who has rest. And the, the ones who have rest are the Christians. But, but now it's telling us that we need to endure. So that doesn't sound very restful, does it? Is endurance restful? Let's look back at Revelation chapter 14, 13, where the, the parallel to this is. And we briefly looked at it recently as well. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 10. And here you have sandwiched in between this passage that explains what the sea beast is. This, this picture of medieval Christianity that went so far astray and misrepresenting what Jesus is all about. And using coercion and force rather than freely inviting people to follow him in love. And then on the other side of this, you find the image of the beast being created that, again, forces people in the end to either receive the mark of the beast or to be killed. And in the midst of that, there comes this phrase right before this in 13 verse 9. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. And then he says this, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. What is this a picture of? It's a picture of justice, isn't it? Saying that, hey, if if somebody leads into captivity, they're going to end up going into captivity. They're going to reap what they sow. According to your deeds, it's going to be done to you. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. So There's a picture that there's going to, to be more and more of this type of activity. Killing with a sword, more and more taking into captivity. And for God's people... That's going to be troublesome, but there's a picture here that justice is going to take place. Notice how it continues like this. So it says, there's those who are, who are taken into captivity, those who are killing with the sword, but here, notice the same exact phrase, here is the patience or the endurance and the faith of the saints. Here is, is the point on which the saints endure. They refuse to participate in what is becoming the way that the world operates. And instead, they endure. But, but what do they endure in? What does that endurance look like? Let's go back to Matthew 24, where Jesus explained what the end was going to look like. As he explained about the destruction of Jerusalem, but in that, explained what the end of the world would look like. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus explained it like this. He said, and because lawlessness will abound... Does that sound like killing with a sword and taking into captivity? Lawlessness will abound. Then he flips it and says, the love of many will grow cold. You know, Jesus was the one who boiled the law down into one basic principle, love. And he said it can be described as to love God, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And, and so when it says lawlessness is going to abound, it's, it's self-preservation that is going to become the, oper- uh, the, the, the main operating principle of the world. Self-preservation. And this is, this is the idea behind the image of the beast, that they are seeking to coerce people to follow this system. And if you don't, then they're going to do whatever it takes to get rid of you. Because lawlessness, self-preservation, selfishness abounds. And if you think about it, there is no crime that would take place if it wasn't for selfishness. That may sound like a bold claim, but the only reason I'd ever steal is because I'm trying to look out for me. The only reason I lie is I'm trying to protect something about me. The only reason that I would kill is in order, it's, it all comes down to self in the end. It's selfishness that creates lawlessness. And, but notice that it says this, as this explodes in society, as, as society becomes more and more lawless, what happens to more and more people? What happens to more and more people? As lawlessness abounds, the love or, or the, law, the lawfulness of many will grow cold. So, so you see that, that this just exponentially expands in society because the fact is that when I see you being selfish, it's real hard for me to be loving in response. And instead, I want to respond with selfishness. And pretty soon I'm thinking, you know what? If nobody else is watching out for me and they're all being selfish, I better get, take care of number one. I better figure out how to take care of myself. And so self-preservation becomes the main operating principle of society in the end. This is what Jesus is painting a picture of. But notice, he says, lawlessness is going to abound. The love of many is going to grow cold. But thankfully, he goes on. But in contrast to this, and then he uses the same word for patience or endurance. He says, but he who, what does it say? Endures to the end will be saved. He who endures in what? What are they growing cold in? Love. What do we need to endure to the very end in? Love. This isn't love like I love pizza. This is love like relational faithfulness, like always looking out for your interests above my interests and always putting God and others first. He who endures in love to the end will be saved. But if I read this, and I, I could think, wow, okay. So the Christian life, you're telling me, he's saying, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now here's the deal. You better love the unlovable until the very end if you want to be saved. How many of you have tried to love people that are really hard to love? How'd that go for you? <laughs> it, it's kind of rough, isn't it? I mean, how about over the coming week if I said, hey, Here's the deal between now and next Sabbath, like you better love absolutely every single person and put them first and think about their interests first and do absolutely everything you can to watch out for other people. And if you don't do that for the next seven days, that's it for you. I'm sorry. You're not going to have endured to the end. All right, let's go home and happy Sabbath to you. I hope you feel blessed by the word of God this morning. Do you feel good about that? Like God wants us to endure to the end in order to be saved. But we're thinking, well, I don't have that kind of love in me. That's not who I am. I'm selfish. Don't you understand how? How do I have a change happen in me? It's it's Jesus is telling me you got to run harder. You got to try harder. Endurance means you just need to grin and bear it. Well, you know, when I think about endurance, I think about the apostle Paul. 
Look at the life that the Apostle Paul ended up living. In 2 Corinthians, he's, he's de- defending his apostleship against these, those who are coming in to question his authority and question his ministry. And this is what he goes on to say, and he does it reluctantly. He says, this is a foolish thing, but I'm going to go ahead and explain why it'd be good for you to listen. Here's the deal. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. This isn't like painting stripes. This is like a whip stripes across his back. In prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Right? So I received the, the 39 lashes across my back. I received that five different times. This is what they would do. They, they would do minus one so that they didn't kill me. Five times they did this to me. If you looked at Paul's back, it was scarred. You imagine that Paul is not this person that he's lived a hard life. He's got these huge scars across his back. We go on. It says, three times I was beaten with rods. He's had his, his bones broken as he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Remember that? They took him out of the city, stoned him, and left him for dead. Then he got up. And walked back into the city. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils of the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil. In sleeplessness often. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often. In cold and nakedness. Welcome to the Christian walk. How many of you are excited to follow Jesus? Endure to the end, friends. This might be what it looks like because we're told about a time of trouble which is bigger than anything Paul ever went through and you're about to face it, so you better buckle your seatbelts and get your act together. Is that what God is trying to tell us here? Is this the reality of what Scripture wants you to know, that you better just try harder? Let's continue looking at the life of Paul, and continue to evaluate how in the world could we endure in the end? Is it only the strong who are going to make it to heaven? Well, uh, besides other things, he goes on to say, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. You know, as Paul describes this, we think, man, that's rough. It sounds terrible, Paul. How in the world did you handle this? How did you keep on enduring all of this strife in your life. Well, notice what Paul gives us as a tidbit for how to run the race. In Hebrews chapter 11, Paul has just gone through this heroes of faith catalog. And as he goes through these heroes of faith, again, you look at these people and you think, how could I ever live like that? Noah, who for 120 years is building a boat when nobody's ever seen a flood and people are mocking him and he can't get anybody to come on his boat and still he gets on the boat and he believes to the very end. Abel, who faces his, his brother Cain and tells him the truth and, and offers the right sacrifice and is murdered for it. You have Moses, who has to leave Egypt and then has to take the children of Israel for 40 years wandering in the, the, the desert. See story after story there. In fact, it goes on to say that there were people who were sawn in two. They were stoned. They were thrown into prison. And you read through this. And then Paul goes on to say something that is at first not very encouraging. Notice what he says. 
Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these who endured to the very end, since, since we're surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So here, add to this for the next seven days, I want you not to sin, okay? Is this a deal? I want you to walk out of here and no more sinning whatsoever over the next seven days so that you can make sure that you run this race well. Right? So this is what Paul is warning us that sin is a problem here. And he's giving us this picture that, hey, because we see all of this, we need to get rid of the sin in our life. But if I just tell you that, which is true, it's going to be a discouraging thing. And it's going to leave you wanting to give up and feeling like you can't do it. Like a whole lot of our Christian brothers and sisters have done. And just walked away from Jesus. They said, look, I'm just not cut out for this. I don't have what it takes. I'm not enough. And the good news this morning is you aren't enough. Because look at what he goes on to say. He doesn't stop here when he says, says this. He goes on to say, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And as he describes this race, he pictures for us how this race can be run with endurance. In fact, not just how, but the only way that this race can be run with endurance. He says, looking unto who? Jesus. The what? The author and finisher of our faith. All right, so what is the author? What's another word for the author of your faith? The starter, the creator, the initiator, the one who, who gets it all going. So, so you don't have any faith of, of yourself. You can't work this up in you. Jesus is the one who brings it to you in the beginning. But not only that, Who's the one that leads to that finishing, that enduring to the very end, the only way that anybody will make it through in the end? Who's the finisher of your faith? I didn't hear that loud enough. Who is the finisher of your faith? Jesus. Let's say it one more time. Who is the finisher of your faith? Jesus. 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 Who for the joy that was set before him. So it says, look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of your faith. Look at him. The key is to look at him. And what are we looking at? Look at how he lived. And specifically, look at this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising or disregarding the shame, the disrepute that he went through. I have a question for you. What was the joy that Jesus looked forward to as a result of the cross? Was it to be reunited with his father? Did he have to go through the cross in order to be reunited with his father? No. Was it so that he could sit on the throne of the universe and have all power? Didn't he have that before going to the cross? Was it so that he could enjoy heaven and enjoy the worship of the angels? Was, was this the joy that Jesus looked forward to? What is the one thing that changes because of the cross? You, me. Jesus went to the cross and he saw you. He saw me and he said, I love them. I love them. And I want to be with them forever. And that is what created endurance in the heart of Jesus. 
who for the joy that was set before him, because of that, that anticipation of, of the, the friendship that you and he are going to share throughout eternity, of walking with you beside the, 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 the river of life and, and picking fruit from the tree of life and, and getting to know you and introduce you to, to so many things that, and to explain so many of the hurts and pains in your life, to get to wipe every tear from your eyes, That joy was set before Jesus, and and as he thought about that, it created in him an endurance for the cross. It was love for you. It was him not willing to to stop loving until the very end. And here's the thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that love chapter, tells us this. It says in verse 7, love bears all things. How many things does love bear? Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love in and of itself endures all things. So what is the key for endurance? What is the key for endurance? Love. You know, before going on a long hike, uh, I have some friends actually who when we show up to go on a backpacking trip, they're like chugging donuts and, and other things to get calories in. I'm of the opinion that there are some other things that are really helpful for endurance events. Like, I'll give you an example. When I was in Pathfinders and we were going to do the, the bike-a-thon, I had these kids who would tell me, you know what you really need to do in order to be able to ride a long distance on that one day is you need to become plant-based in your diet. Plant-based. Oh, that sounds, that sounds miserable. You mean no milk and no cheese? I don't, I'm not sure if I can handle that. Yeah, but not just that. You also need to get rid of all refined sugar from your diet. All refined sugar? Oh, all right. Well, I really wanted to endure to be able to ride a long distance in this Pathfinder bike-a-thon. It was one day out of the year when you tried to ride as far as you could in nine hours in order to raise money for your Pathfinder club. And if you go over 100 miles, you get a special plaque. And if you go the furthest distance, then you get a trophy. And so I was all excited about this, hoping that I could ride as far as possible. And so you know that changed this kid who loved Pizza Hut and McDonald's and ice cream sandwiches to now eating plant-based and no refined sugar. And it was funny. I remember one day I went with some friends to the Monterey Bay Aquarium midway through that year. And the mom, she looked at me and she said, your eyes sparkle. It's something different about you. You have this energy to you. There's, there's something different going on inside of you. And they, they saw the difference in me. And, and sure enough, it, also a lot of training, it helped a lot when I went to ride the bike-a-thon. I was able to ride a whole lot farther than I had ridden the year before when I wasn't thinking about all of those things. What you put in enables you to endure. And the picture here is that that when it comes to spiritual things, what enables you to endure in the end is what? Love endures all things. If you have the same love stirring inside of you that Jesus had as he was on the cross that, that enabled him to go through what he went through, then you too will be able to endure to the end. Love endures all things. Hebrews goes on to say, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, but notice he's told us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then notice what he says again, another way to say it, for consider. Okay. What does he mean by looking? It's to consider, to, to analyze, to look at, to adore, to, to, to keep our focus 
in on this one thing, and that is Jesus. For consider him, that's Jesus, who, again, there's our word, endure. This is the passage where he uses the word endure the most in the Bible. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Have you endured some hostility from people against you before? Maybe this past week, maybe recently, maybe as a boss, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody at work, a parent, a child. We're constantly experiencing hostility. How do we handle that? Notice what it goes on to say. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The, the hostility that we experience from people, it, it causes us to become weary and discouraged in our souls. It hardens us. It keeps us from being soft and loving like God has called us to be. The, the hostility that, that we experience in the world, it, it creates in us a weariness, a discouragement. So how do we counteract that? What does it say? Consider him who endured. Look at Jesus and look at him on the cross as he was enduring hostility by sinners. As as nails are being driven in his hand, what's he saying? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then Satan is, is trying to do everything possible as selfishness and love stand face to face at the cross. I love how Desire of Ages describes that. It says, selfishness and love stand face to face at the cross. And And Satan is doing everything possible to get Jesus to choose self-preservation, to choose this beast system that's killing with the sword, that's taking into captivity. And as he's there on the cross, person after person is saying, if you're the son of God, save yourself. Come down from that cross if you're the king of Israel. If you are the one, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. Again and again and again. And you imagine that it's, it's like Satan and all of the, the demonic host is pressing in around Jesus. And, and they're thinking, if we just add a little bit more pressure, he's going he's gonna to decide that he can use his own strength to, to save himself. But Jesus could have in an instant come down from the cross. He could have looked at people and they would have been consumed. He could have done anything that he wanted to to get off of that cross. But it was for the joy set before him the love that stirred inside of him for you. Because he couldn't imagine the universe without you. He couldn't imagine living without you. So he stayed there. And he continued to love. And as they're pressing a little bit harder and pressing a little bit harder and the temptation's coming closer and closer and closer and, and then finally he says, it is finished. And he breathes his last and he lays down his life. And suddenly they realize, ah, We just lost the entire war, the universe, because God just showed that he is love, selfless love. And Jesus endured until the very end in love. And that is who stands in the end. You want to summarize the three angels' message? A really simple third angel summary is that in the end, God's going to have a people who love like Jesus loves. They're going to endure in love until the very end. They're going to love like Jesus loves. But that comes through looking to Jesus, through considering the one who is enduring all this, through looking and looking and looking to the cross for ourselves. So, 
that endurance event that, that all of you just went on that you didn't know about over the past week? Did you realize that you've done something that, that makes every other endurance event pale in comparison? Did you realize that? No? Well, over the past week, you have traveled. You know what? I'm using my phone to, to, to catalyze this. But every single day, you have traveled 584 million miles. Now you're feeling a little more exhausted? Add that up for seven days. And I calculated that over my 36 years that I have traveled something like 26, I think, billion miles. No wonder I'm tired. You know, the older I get, the more I feel some aches and pains. And I'm thinking, why am I so tired? Well, I've traveled billions of miles. But there's some of you here who are over 80 who are approaching 50 billion miles that you've traveled. It's incredible. It's mind-blowing. The endurance of what you have done. It's, you guys all deserve a trophy for this endurance event that you go on day in and day out. Did you know you're doing that? Right now, we're traveling at 66,616 miles per hour. Hurtling through space. You tired? Any of you breathing heavily? Sweating? Anybody breaking a sweat? You guys are resting in a pew. This doesn't look that hard for you. It looks like you're handling this no problem. What is it that enables us to take this incredibly fast and and long journey around the sun over and over and over, year after year after year, and we're not even thinking about it? How does it happen? We're going around the sun. And the closer that that a planet orbits the sun, the faster that that planet goes. And and we're in that orbit that's that's next to Venus and Mercury for being the fastest in the universe in the in the solar system. We're we're going around the sun, and you're not even tired by it, because the sun is a massive ball of fire that's doing all the work for you. You're going on this incredible journey, and it's not about you. <laughs> It's about the sun. The sun is keeping you going around and around, year after year. And it would just take a few hours of being taken away from the gravitational pull of the sun as we plummeted off into the universe at 66,000 miles per hour before we would no longer be able to exist on this planet as we exited the habitable zone of our solar system. But that sun is holding on to you when you don't know that it's holding on to you. That sun, is its gravitational pull has a grasp on you, your family, your house. You can, you can stop worrying about your bank account. The sun's, the sun's going to keep that in orbit as well. Your car, the, the, your car is going to keep orbiting the sun. The sun, is, it's gravitation. It, it's enough for you in that, I, pr- I promise you. Your car's not going anywhere. It's going to keep orbiting the sun. You see, all the things that we worry about on this tiny little speck, the speck keeps floating around this planet, around, around this sun, because of the gravitational pull of this massive ball of fire. <laughs> and Paul says, look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, there are other objects that that don't have such a nice rotation around the sun. 
Like, for instance, comets. You know Halley's Comet? It comes by every 75 to 76 years. That comet, it goes, and it comes looping around the sun, and it goes real fast, and then it zips out into the universe. And the reason that we see that beautiful uh, tail when it comes back is because it got so cold out there that when it comes back, it has all this ice that begins to burn off as it gets close to the sun. And then we say, wow, look at that beautiful comet. That comet is out of control. It's in chaos because sometimes it's looking to the sun and other times it's looking off and it's going off to find brighter fields out there. But the earth is in a fixed rotation, an orbit going around and around and around the sun. And when you and I keep our eyes fixed on the sun, the son of God, everything changes There's a gravitational pull that changes who we are. Now notice um, what took place in Paul's life. Paul, who who had this incredible endurance, was actually a part of that that character that is displayed in Revelation 13 when, when we read about those who are killing with a sword who will be killed with a sword. Those who are taken into captivity will be taken into captivity. Paul, when he's on his way to Damascus... And Acts chapter 9 tells us that he's, he's breathing murderous threats. He's, he's got letters to carry off into captivity Christians so that he can kill Christians. He is a part of the beast power. Paul has got the mark of the beast character in him. There's no doubt about it. So what changed, except for his name is Saul at this point. What changed for him? He saw the sun. Something more powerful than our sun that we orbit. At midday, O king, I saw on the way to Damascus a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. I saw something brighter than the sun. And when you see something brighter than the sun, it's going to change who you are. And it will create endurance in you. I saw something brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, I want you to imagine what's going to go through Paul's mind right at this moment. Here he is on his way to kill heretics because they don't believe the right things. They're teaching these heretical doctrines. And so what they need to do, what they need is to be killed. He's on his way to kill people who don't believe the right thing. And suddenly he finds out what about himself? He doesn't believe the right thing. And there's this incredibly powerful being who just showed up to say, you've got it wrong, Saul. So what do you think he's going to think is going to happen to him in that moment? His idea of God is that he delights in people getting killed because they don't believe the right thing. And he comes in contact with God and realizes, I've been killing your people. You're persecuting. God says, you've been persecuting me. So the first thought that has to go through Paul's mind is, I'm done for. This is it. This is the end. If I've been killing his people, he's going to kill me. Because that's his picture of God. But notice, notice what Jesus says. Verse 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen me, have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you. I have chosen you to show the whole world 
what you've seen about me. You see, when you come in contact with that type of love, no longer can you treat anybody like you were treating them before. Saul's not going to walk away from this and haul people off anymore. He's not going to be mistreating people because he realizes that he himself was the one who deserved to be hauled off. And Jesus showed up and said, I choose you to be the greatest apostle of them all. I choose you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, so that, so that their eyes can be fixed upon the, the sun. Maybe this is, is that, that, that gleam of light that, that enabled Paul to say in Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Go to those Gentiles out there that you hate so much and go tell them that just like you hated me and I'm forgiving you, you, I want to forgive them too. That's what the world needs to look like. That's why Paul was able to write to Timothy like this. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I, I'm chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. This is, this is why he showed up in the road to Damascus. Why did he choose Saul of all people? Why didn't he choose one of the, the disciples who were already doing so many good things and say, you're the one that I'm going to send to the world. You're the one that I'm going to have write all these letters that will en- encapsulate so much of the New Testament. Why did he choose Saul of all people? For this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering. It's another word for endurance in the New Testament. As a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. I, I, I was to be the example of how God treats his enemies. And this is what he does. And he'll do it for you too. So go out and love like Jesus has loved you. Help in daily living describes Paul's endurance, the motive that stirred inside of him that enabled him to go through all that he went through like this. It says, the love of Christ, said Paul, compels us. 2 Corinthians 5.14. This was the actuating principle. This is, this is what drove him. The actuating principle of his conduct. It was his motive power. The love of Christ. It's what compelled him. If ever his ardor in the path of duty flagged for a moment, if, if his zeal, if he, if, he was, if he was discouraged in a moment because of all the adversity that he was facing, this, this is what he would do. One glance at the cross caused him to gird anew the loins of his mind and press forward in the way of self-denial. One glance at the cross and Paul was on his way again. Renewed with energy to endure in the love that was shown to him. Goes on to say, this was his purpose. In his labors for his brethren, he relied much upon the manifestation of infinite love and the sacrifice of Christ with its subduing, constraining power. Uh, everywhere he went, he was telling people about this incredible love of a God that would, that would give his life for them. And this was what he knew would change people's lives. This is the only way to lay aside the weight of sin, which is so terrible in our lives. This is the only way to stay faithful and loving people to the very end, is to know the love that he has for us. To fix our eyes on the sun and to recognize that, that we're in orbit around Jesus and that his gravitational pull is enough to hang on to us if we simply will continue to look and look and look to Jesus. 
1 John 4 verse 10 says it this way, in this is love. This is love. This is what endures to the end. Not that we love God. You get that? The third angel's message is not about people who figured out enough that they were able to, to parse out how to love God and they were able to do it. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. That's where the key to love is. Recognizing the love that he has towards us. We love, he goes on to say, because he first loved us. Those who endure in the end are those who drink in a steady diet of the love of God. This book, From Cover to Cover, is a story of a God who's radically in love with a lost creation and who will do whatever it takes to save them at any cost to himself. And he's willing to do whatever it takes for any problem in your life. And as you read this and pour over it, drinking in the love of God, you're going to have the diet that will see you through in the end. To drink in of the love of God because we need to endure in love in the end. We can only endure in love if we know that we're loved. You know that you're loved by the infinite God of the universe on a level that is bigger than you've ever experienced before. You've got a sin problem in your life. The root of that is that you don't recognize enough how much God loves you. It's only through love that you'll expel sin from your life. It's only through knowing his love that everything will change. It's only through fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking at him, considering him. I love how this says it in the Review and Herald. The great center of attraction, Jesus Christ, must not be left out of the third angel's message. It's in an article titled, Christ, the Center of the Message. Jesus is who it's all about. He is the center of attraction. His gravitational pull is what tugs us in and is what is pulling all of humanity. It's holding all of us together. In fact, that's what Colossians chapter 1, Paul describes how endurance is something that takes his glorious might to have, but then he goes on to describe how incredible Jesus is, and then he says, in him, all things exist and have their being, and they hold together. His gravitational pull is what is holding us in. Evangelism, page 186 says, Jesus is the living center of everything. It's Jesus. It's his love for you. That alone will be the fuel to help you endure in the end. Friends, what we need is a Copernican shift. We're going to look a little bit more at this in coming weeks, but what we need is is to get ourselves out of the center of the solar system of our lives and realize that we are in orbit around Jesus and that only his strength can keep us, only his power can hold us, and it's only by looking to him that we can run the race with endurance. We need a Copernican shift to recognize that we're in orbit around this beautiful, beautiful, adorable son of righteousness named Jesus. And Jesus himself said this to us. He says, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Hupomeno, that word for endurance in the Greek, the root word for it is meno, abide. It, it's, it's to abide under, uh, uh, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of strife. And the, the whole word means to remain where you're at. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me with that incredible, radical love, I have loved you. Now stay there. Don't try to be like Jeff Bezos and get off the planet. 
Don't, don't, don't spend all your money to, to, to get off into outer space. And, you know, if you, if you got, built a big enough rocket, you could get out of the gravitational pull of the sun. But don't do it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Stay in his gravitational pull as he attracts us to him day in and day out. Abide in my love. Drink in a steady diet of the love of God as revealed in the Bible and you will endure to the very end. Jesus is the center. He's the center of attraction for all of us. That is what the third angel's message is all about. Father, I ask for forgiveness today because so often I make it about me and what I can do and what I can accomplish rather than fixing my eyes on your love and what you can do in me. You do a a massive shift in my orientation to realize that I can't keep myself moving at the pace that I'm going. I need to move into orbit around Jesus. Do you help me to see that it's only your love that endures? Father, I pray for my friends here. I don't know who's here, who's discouraged, who's feeling like they can't go on, like they're facing hostility, like they're facing problems and trials that they cannot handle. Father, I ask that they would consider you and the love that you have for them and that that would change everything for them. That they would love because you first loved them. That you would raise up a people who will love to the very end because of the love that they've experienced in you. Lord, give us a hunger for the Bible which reveals this amazing story of love. A love that that knows no boundaries and no limits, that will continue to chase us every day of of our life. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Pour out your love in our hearts. And may we love this world radically like you have loved us. Thank you, Father, that we can trust you to accomplish this, that we can endure in your strength. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.